The U.S. government has awarded Novavax $1.6 billion to support the late-stage development and scale-up and manufacturing of their COVID-19 vaccine. This will take Novavax's uh, vaccine uh, through phase three trials, which they say should include 30,000 people beginning in fall of 2020, if all goes well with uh, earlier studies. This will also help them establish large-scale manufacturing, including, they say, the production of 100 million doses starting in late 2020. We in the industry all believe that a vaccine will will be the uh, solution. And, uh, and we think coronavirus can be conquered with the vaccine. Now can we make enough of it? Can we make it fast enough? Welcome to our podcast about biotechnology breakthroughs, the DNA of all living things, and the DNA of scientists, companies, and patients who make miracles happen. I'm Dr. Michelle McMurray-Heath, and you are listening to I am bio. When the pandemic began, health officials and journalists repeatedly emphasized that this was a novel coronavirus. There was a lot of focus on that word novel, and rightfully so. It meant we had never seen anything quite like this before. It meant we weren't sure how the virus would behave, how contagious or deadly it would be. It meant we weren't sure what, if anything, in our global medicine cabinet could slow or stop this deadly zoonotic pathogen. Those answers have revealed themselves slowly over the last eight months, none of them good. But the silver lining in that phrase, novel coronavirus, is the implication that there have been others. In Gaithersburg, Maryland, a small vaccine maker known as Novavax spent years working to perfect a vaccine against other respiratory coronaviruses, namely SARS and MERS. And get this, the company uses insect cell lines from a moth to make those coronavirus spike proteins to harmlessly stimulate your body's immune response. And part of what helps it strike that right balance is an ingredient taken from the bark of a tree found in Chile. They call it a recombinant nanoparticle vaccine platform and a special adjuvant. The company was testing its effectiveness when SARS and MERS resolved themselves before the company could complete clinical trials. But Novavax is using the same platform on its flu vaccine, which just got very encouraging phase three results This scrappy biotech only has 350 employees, but it has captured the world's attention and the financial attention of government and nonprofit funders. Will it be a small biotech in Maryland that saves the world? Keep your earbuds in and let's learn more. Today's guest has made immunology and innovative approaches to vaccine development his life's work. Nine years ago, Stan Erk became president and CEO of Novavax, a small biotech company in Gaithersburg, Maryland. Stan is a 40-year industry veteran who previously ran two innovative companies in the vaccine and immunology space. And now he faces the greatest challenge of his career— as his small company continues to make big news with the promise of its unique vaccine candidate to conquer COVID-19, and fast. 
Stan, welcome to I Am Bio. Thanks for inviting me. Happy to be here. Not long after COVID hit our shores in January, a couple of things became immediately obvious. One, the novel coronavirus is, in its most common manifestation, a respiratory virus that aggressively attacks older people and the immunocompromised. And two, it's so contagious and potentially lethal that we simply don't have the time to wait for traditional vaccine approaches to play out. When it comes to biotech R&D, it's often the small, nimble companies that are leading the way, companies like Novavax. Before we talk about your company's fascinating technology, I have to ask you, what does the wait to succeed feel like on you right now? Well, that's a great question. I get asked a lot, uh, uh, how are we doing? Uh, how are you surviving? Uh, you must be going 24-7, and we are. But it's it's uh, the weight comes off when when you get good data, and so that's we're we're in the process of generating data that shows that there's a a, re, a really good chance that our vaccine will work. So that that helps a lot. What about this pandemic has given smaller biotechs like yours a unique opportunity to rise to the occasion? We've been able to um, expand the work that we started. Uh, you know, 10 years ago when I started with the company, we were making respiratory vaccines and, and uh, coronavirus, uh, COVID-19 is not our first coronavirus vaccine. We've actually, this is our third coronavirus vaccine. So this is this is right up our technical or platform alley, if you will, with, with the access to capital, we've been able to expand quite quickly. The platform being pioneered by Novavax is truly cutting-edge stuff that could enable you to get to the FDA finish line soon. You're using what's called a recombinant nanoparticle vaccine platform, and to the layman, that sounds like very complex stuff. I understand Novavax is using insect cell lines as factories to make the coronavirus protein, so you're producing the spike proteins that we've now heard so much about with the help of a moth. Is that correct? So... DNA makes RNA that makes proteins. That's that's the Bible. We make a DNA segment that makes this protein, uh, and, and we get, and we get the DNA into an insect cell. The insect cell was discovered by by our uh, head of research um, in 1978 when he was a postdoc at Texas A and M, and he found out that this this cell line happens to grow really well. And it produces protein at high levels. And so, so we've used that. Uh, it's now being used in other products uh, from in other companies as well. So it's, it's a well-known uh, manufacturing platform. We put DNA into these uh, army worms cells that produce high levels of protein. And the proteins through the purification process uh, form a trimer. And then they form a multiple of a trimer. And so it, it's this particle where you get many epitopes, many uh, sides of it exposed to the immune system. So not just one. And and it makes a much more uh, robust immune response. Hmm, I can almost picture that in my mind. So you've got three copies of the protein coming together, and then it's glomming onto other sets of three. And then before you know it, you have this mass of protein in all different orientations. Is that right? That's correct. Novavax is focused exclusively on vaccines. And in in recent years, your company's primary focus has been on respiratory viruses. You worked on vaccines for SARS and MERS, but those outbreaks for SARS and MERS were resolved before you had a chance to bring your vaccine candidate through the clinical trials. 
Still, I know that experience of studying respiratory coronavirus has been invaluable to your scientists. There's some know-how involved in making the actual clone, uh, designing the clone. And so that when you put that into our, our manufacturing system, our insect cell system, that it, it's, it remains stable. It forms, a, it forms a particle as opposed to just a uh, single protein. And it seems to make it more immunogenic, and, and uh, it seems to allow for a more robust immune response in animals, and now that we've shown it in people as well. And so that, that knowledge, that platform knowledge, uh, is, is what enables us to, to go quickly. And, and, and then the fact that we've been able to manufacture uh, these other vaccines, such as influenza and RSV, uh, at large scale and multi-thousand liter scale uh, allows us to step right into that scale uh, with uh, coronavirus. So just as a reminder to our listeners, you know, since the first small box vaccine um, over 100 years ago, the technology around vaccines has been to deliver part of the protein from the infectious virus to people ahead of time so that their immune system can learn to recognize it. So you're talking about a novel ability to turn that protein into a particle to really stimulate the immune system to be prepared for encountering COVID. That's exactly right. And it does it fairly well on its own, but but we boost it even further with something called an adjuvant. It's a mixture of, of uh, chemicals that, that uh, boost them, that, that signal to the immune system that something really important is happening and, and let's let's go get it. So adjuvants are often thought of as a little bit of an irritant, something to kind of tick off the immune system so it knows to go into high gear and start mounting a response. What's unique about Novavax's adjuvant approach? Well, uh, there and, and there are many different approaches to adjuvants. And ours happens to be a well-trod path in, in some respects because we, we take uh, saponin, which is which is found in actually in the bark of a tree found in Chile. Components of the bark have been used in a variety of food substances. It, it makes uh, the foam for your root beer uh, foam well, uh, among other things. And, and so it was tried, uh, I don't know, a couple decades ago um, as an adjuvant. It turned out that if you if you fractionate, if you purify components out of it. In just the right way, you can make it so that it does become that irritant to the immune system, but not so much so that it has side effects. And so we have a fairly benign uh, side effect profile, but it it works really well. It's it's been used now in a variety of different circumstances. We just used it in our phase three flu program that I mentioned and got great results. We used it with our Ebola uh, vaccine. It's, it's being used now in Africa in a malaria vaccine that appears to be really successful in, in preventing malaria. So, so it's well used. That's what our adjunct is. Two weeks ago, Novavax announced two encouraging results from your early trials. One was a readout from a study on how your vaccine candidate worked on non-human primates. And the other was results from the phase one trial in humans. Can you describe for our listeners what each result showed and why everyone is so hopeful about them? Yeah, so what, what you look for, there's, there's two sides of the immune system. There's the side that produces antibodies that neutralize uh, the virus or the pathogen that, that's, being, that's being infecting the human. 
And the other side is a T-cell-mediated response, which can destroy cells that have been infected or, or encourage the body to make uh, more antibodies. And so, so both those sides, are, we think, uh, are important. And what we've shown, and as we have in our previous uh, vaccines, that, that by using this, this uh, recombinant nanoparticle and an adjuvant, that we stimulate very high quantities of neutralizing antibodies, which is really important. And we did it in mice, and and our history tells us that that, that translates to what happens into non-human primates, which translates into humans very well. And that's what we uh, have published in, in the recent weeks. It caused us to have a big sigh of relief. We all expected it, but, you know, this is biology, and this is biotechnology, and you don't always get what you hope for or expect, And we, but we did. So we've all heard a lot about messenger RNA technology. As you say, it's the Bible, DNA to messenger RNA to protein. It's one of the most promising areas of research for COVID and other um, infectious diseases, but mRNA technology is so new that it hasn't yet yielded an approved vaccine, although we all hope that that will soon change. Protein-based vaccines like your approach are an enormous leap from the traditional live virus vaccines, but yours is a slightly more mature technology than some of the other next generation approaches to vaccines out there. You recently completed a pivotal phase three trial of an influenza vaccine using the same protein-based platform. What were the results from that study of your flu vaccine and how soon is that going to be for ready for patients? Yeah, so flu is, is has been our focus for the last uh, well, several years. And, and I think <clears throat> we all know that, that we, while there are many flu vaccines out there, we need a better one. You know, it, from year to year, the efficacy of a flu vaccine uh, changes uh, anywhere from maybe in a good year, it's 50 or 60 percent efficacious. Uh, but in a bad year, it's not at all or maybe 10 or 20 percent. We showed in a phase one and a phase two trial in head-to-head studies against the best-selling uh, flu vaccines in older adults, because that's where the biggest problem is in older adults. We got a better immune response, both a T-cell-mediated immune response and an antibody response. We were able to go into a phase three in a much larger trial and, and, uh, and repeat that for the third time. And uh, we think that's uh, really critical. And the problem we have is is of course, everybody's focused, including ourselves, on COVID right now. So it, it, it uh, uh, we have to figure out how to do both. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm a molecular immunologist by training, so I'm, I'm geeking out here listening to you describe the vaccinology because it's fascinating to me. But when I was studying at Duke, I remember learning all about immunosenescence. And you mentioned older individuals being at a particular risk for flu, but we're also finding that for COVID. And immunosenescence refers to the gradual deterioration of the immune system as we get older. Essentially, the adaptive immune system, which represents our body's long-term memory in recognizing and fighting pathogens, becomes a little bit forgetful. Novavax's solution for this is in part the adjuvant that you mentioned. Can you explain how this is going to be helpful to provide extra protection that seniors may need? Yeah, and I don't think it's through a process that's that's, uh, perfectly understood. In fact, I'm sure it's through a process that's not perfectly understood. But <laughs> but in general, the adjuvant is the key. It seems to broaden the antibody response. So it covers uh, strains that are drifting in the case of influenza. And we get a much more robust neutralizing response against 
strains are slightly different than what's actually in the vaccine itself. And so that's helpful. And uh, with the adjuvant, uh, you come up with a, a relatively high percentage of these cells that are specific for the pathogen, whether it be coronavirus or flu. And so we think the adjuvant is a, is a key component of this phenomenon. So that, that may be important, though, for COVID, right? Because we don't yet fully understand how fast COVID will evolve in the natural environment. You know, with flu, we're, we're used to this routine of needing new flu vaccines every 12 months. What's your sense of how quickly COVID is evolving relative to flu? Is it more stable, less stable? That's the question that remains to be answered. Nobody knows. I mean, we, we, we have had reports of, of one amino acid change that seems to be uh, important, but but we don't know how how quickly that's going to evolve over time, and it, nothing but time will solve that issue. What are the pressure points and the biggest question marks your scientists hope to answer um, to prove that this vaccine works through these through these final phases? What you learn from a phase two late stage trial and phase three, of course, is does the production of uh, neutralizing antibody actually lead to efficacy? Does it lead to protection? So that's what we have to learn uh, in the phase three. And it's, you just have to do it in enough people uh, where you have a placebo group and compare it to the vaccine group. The other pressure point that we all have is how do you make enough of this stuff? You got to make bucket loads of, of, uh, of material. And normally you, 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 Wait until you have some phase two and phase three data before you make the investment into large-scale production. And we, uh, Novavax, and and uh, our colleagues in the industry are all trying to scale up this in parallel as opposed to do it in sequence. There are three really important aspects of a vaccine. One is does it make a does it generate a uh, protective immune response? Number two, is it safe? And then number three, can you can you make it at large scale? And that's what we're dealing with now is how quickly can we make it at large scale? I think we in the industry all believe that a vaccine will will be the uh, solution. And, uh, and we think coronavirus can be conquered with a vaccine. Now can we make enough of it? Can we make it fast enough? My focus has been on, on uh, making global supply available and, and uh, it's, it's, it's a big effort. So I have to ask the question that everyone is waiting for me to ask. Under the most optimistic timeline, what is the earliest you might be able to complete your clinical trials and get an answer back from FDA? Yeah, so uh, I can't answer the part from the FDA. We, we do everything under the auspices of the FDA. We, we, we announced our phase one data uh, and immediately put that into a very dense package of data uh, and submitted it to the FDA sitting in their lap right now. Uh, with approval from the FDA, we'll start our phase two probably within the next week or two. We won't wait until we get our phase two data to start a phase three. We'll, we'll do it in parallel. We hope to have phase three trial in the U.S. started by the end of September. But we're also uh, have a global view of this, and, and we expect to start phase three trials in other countries um, in, in in the coming weeks. So when will we see data? You can't predict precisely because it depends upon uh, where you're doing the trial and how much disease is around. The, the higher the attack rate of disease, the easier it is to show that a vaccine works. And so it's possible we would see uh, some signs of efficacy in October, November. The FDA will 
will react as quickly as they possibly can. Are you planning on giving one dose or two? I know that some of the COVID vaccines are in the two-dose realm, 28 days apart. Yeah, most of them are two because in vaccinology, uh, it, the, everybody's naive to this coronavirus. It means they haven't seen it before. And when kids get their standard regimen of vaccines when they're zero, one, and two years old, they get two or three doses of everything because they haven't seen any of these pathogens before. In flu, you only get one dose because you've seen flu every year or you see it every few years. But in coronavirus, we have a, uh, everybody's naive to it, so you do what you call a priming dose. And then you wait a little while and you give a, a boosting dose. And, and in almost all cases, a boosting dose, that second dose gives an enormously bigger immune response. Ours, I think, gave a 10 to 100-fold higher immune response to the second dose than the first. Novavax really captured the public attention back in June when you received a $1.6 billion grant from the U.S. government's Operation Warp Speed. It was a huge validation of what leaders in vaccinology see in your approach. Can you talk about the details of that contract and what it means for you to be able to scale up production and work at the speed you're working? Yeah, it's that and, and uh, uh, also giving credit to CEPI for the earlier award and recognizing the value of our data that we had generated in, for instance, non-human primates. I think that impressed both uh, the Operation Warp Speed and CEPI. And these grants and the $1.6 billion from Operation Warp Speed just took all any financial barrier away from our ability to scale up. And, and so it's allowed us to uh, focus entirely on execution and so it's been really helpful in that respect. So you're one of just a handful to receive both Operation Warp Speed and CEPI funding. I know that Novavax is preparing a manufacturing facility in the Czech Republic to scale up those doses, and that CEPI has been working with the World Health Organization and other partners to make the earliest doses of vaccine, um, ensuring that they go to the countries and communities in greatest need. It's been our focus uh, to have a global vaccine. When I mean global, I don't mean just geographically. I mean globally across all uh, uh, high, and low, and middle-income uh, countries. So um, it's the CEPI grant uh, contemplated that we would be able to buy the, the facility in the Czech Republic. That facility can make, on the order of magnitude, uh, a billion doses of vaccines. And so... We built upon that. We're trying to do something that's completely unprecedented, uh, which is to transfer our technology to manufacturing sites and countries in eight different countries, in eight different sites at the same time. And that includes uh, European sites, includes sites in India at, at Serum Institute that can also make a billion doses to Japan. We just announced an agreement with Takeda that has a similar plan to what we have in the Czech Republic that can make the same types of quantities. Uh, and we just announced yesterday Korea. So we're developing the, the CEPI grant and the, uh, the U.S. grant which allows us to make a uh, product that we can allocate equally among all income level countries. I always think of the science of COVID vaccinology being incredibly complex, but you're also pointing out that the logistics around delivering the COVID vaccine is equally, if not more complex. It is. It's completely above uh, Novavax's 
capabilities to be able to distribute this globally. I think we're, we're advantaged quite a bit by the fact that Operation Warp Speed is, is one of the two key leaders, uh, is, is a four-star general who, who uh, handles all the logistics uh, in, in our military. And, and that you can imagine how complex that is uh, on a global basis. So that's going to help. And then we, we are partnering with a company called Serum Institute in India that supplies two-thirds of the world's vaccines uh, just by itself and only to low- and middle-income countries. And so the logistics of that are just, we couldn't do it ourselves. One of the most concerning phenomena here at home are surveys showing growing COVID vaccine hesitancy among Americans. It's an election year, and some have expressed concerns that a vaccine may be approved before adequate safety testing has been done. What's your message to Americans watching their televisions and seeing conflicting messages about whether it will be safe to take your vaccine or any COVID vaccine upon receiving FDA approval? It's frustrating to to be dealing with uh, the disinformation on vaccines that's been out there for decades and, and completely unproven. The, the global health system has spent the, the equal same number of decades doing experiment after experiment showing that vaccines uh, are work well, uh, are the best form of healthcare, preventing disease. Uh, all we can do is hope that our healthcare system can be convincing of what the safety and efficacy data show and trust the data and trust your FDA. Uh, I think nobody's, nobody's trying to cut corners in safety or data generation. And all we're trying to do is, is cut bureaucracy down so that we can do things faster. Who are the special people in your life that motivate you to keep working these insane hours to get over the finish line? Well, I've lived a fairly uh, narrow life in, in the biotech field. I've been in biotech all my life. So all of my friends, and many of my friends, uh, are grew up beside me in the biotech world. And we all support each other because no biotech company has ever gone from uh, start to finish in a straight line. There's always bumps along the way. But we're all terribly supportive. My, my family and friends uh, are terribly supportive. People that I barely know now that they know what we're doing are supportive. So that's, that makes it easier to uh, get through all this. It's, just, it's an exciting time. So I do have one more question. I was talking to one of our bio CEOs the other day, and she said, you know, I think biotech leaders are eternal optimists. I mean, you have to be to be in a field where 98% of what you do doesn't work and you have to get up each day and say, yes, I really want to do that again. Have you always been an optimist? I have. I, I, I tell people I've, to be a biotech CEO, you have to be an optimist. You know, we run a business based upon experiments experiments fail. And if they didn't fail, uh, they wouldn't be experiments. The key is, is to recognize when something has failed, try to prevent it when, when possible, but then fix it. That's what, uh, that's what biotech industry does. And you, you have to hope that it works. Well, we are all rooting for you. And we hope that you have tons of success ahead. I'm sure that you will. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Appreciate it. Good talking to you. That's all for today. Don't forget to subscribe on your podcast player of choice, or even better, if you've learned something useful today, please share a link to the I Am Bio pod with your family and friends. To learn more about the work of heroes and sheroes in lab coats, please visit iambio.org. On our next episode, 
we're going to talk about a growing health problem in the pandemic that deserves more attention. Mental health and substance abuse crises have spiked at a time when so many people are isolated, anxious, out of work, and hunkered down at home. Many people who desperately need treatment are reticent to seek it. Telemedicine has emerged as a critical solution for vulnerable populations and underserved communities. It can also be a key strategy in the fight against the familiar foes of opioid and alcohol dependency. We're going to explore this topic next Monday on I Am Bio.